be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Welcoming in for the first time European Tour member, European Ryder Cup team member, Chris Wood. Chris, what is going on with you today, man? I'm all good. Uh, it's been a, a long day full of uh, some media stuff, but um, right now I'm pretty comfortable, led on my sofa, chatting to you. So uh, it's all good. Don't get too comfortable because the questions are going to start coming in hot and. Uh, <laughs> You're going to get put on the hot seat here. But uh, you've got, a, from what I understand, you've got a baby coming on the way here in the next couple of weeks. Is that right? Yeah. Um, any day, really. Um, so, yeah, if I, if I cut, if I say uh, suddenly panic and run <laughs> off, that's probably why. Um, but, yeah, any, any day now. So it's exciting times. Do you know if you're having a boy or a girl? We don't. We've left it up uh, to a surprise. So, um, yeah, we've. I mean, obviously, you get that choice uh, early on with scans and stuff these days. But um, yeah, it's been it's been quite fun just not knowing. So um, yeah, it's exciting, really. Do you at least have names picked out for when uh, for a boy name and a girl name picked out? Yeah, we've. It's harder than like before we were in this this position. You sort of think, oh, you know, you've got your names sorted, but actually, it's quite hard to agree on them, uh, <laughs> the two of you. So. Um, Generally, she'll get last say. <laughs> they they usually do. But uh, yeah. tying tying it into golf, what is uh, having a child do for you for your plans going forward as far as your scheduling? Have you made any adjustments for what events you plan to play? Well, we're sort of sat waiting for it to come. Um, so at the moment, uh, I'm I'm sort of it's it's officially due um, in. I think 10 days time, which would be very close to the start of the week of the world golf championship in Mexico. Um, so that's, you know, that's doubtful whether I'll make that unless it comes in the next week or so. Um, so it's, it's weird really, cause I'm sat at home now I'm practicing and, um, but I don't really, I don't really know when I'm going to play. So it's quite hard to mentally gear myself up for, you know, looking ahead to my next event. Um, fingers crossed with a bit of luck, it'll be Mexico, but if not, it'll probably, it's probably looking like Bay Hill. <clears throat> yeah. And we'll get a bit, uh, get into a bit on the, your, your kind of transition into playing more golf in the U S but we, I've talked about this on this podcast before about, uh, how unique I find the European tour in that it's European only by name and it's really yeah. a very global tour. Um, as a regular on that tour, do you find the schedule taxing or do you, uh, for the most part, really enjoy getting to see a lot of different parts of the world? Do you know what? You get used to it. Um, I mean, the travel we do is incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember playing a practice round at the USPGA last year, no, two years ago with Kevin Nutt. And I mean, the, the the boys in the states they don't yeah they're spoiled aren't they I mean a lot of them fly private and he was like he couldn't believe that we didn't fly private within within Europe and stuff like that and I'm like man like this is yes this is yeah it's, it's it can be hard over here um, he was completely shocked I think um, 
that you know the places we go or you know you 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 drive two hours to the airport you get on a 10-hour flight then you've got a two-hour train journey the other end it's things like that but like when you're young i might feel different about it in 10 years time but when you're fairly young it's sort of like an adventure really and then there's a great golf tournament at the other end and um it's you know i I really enjoy that side of it um so it's not a burden for me at all do you get to do much uh fun stuff when you go to these unique places or for the most part uh do you build that into your travel schedule give yourself a couple days if you're going to somewhere you haven't been before or or is it for the most part are you dead set on focused on golf once you get there yeah like I mean, obviously, a lot of people I speak to say, oh, you get to go to all these amazing countries, these different cities, and, you know, what do you see? And I was like, well, the hotel, the golf course, and the airport. Um, but for me, I, you know, I like to go to a week with my sort of work head on and not, you know, treat it that way for the entire week, you know, so... I don't feel like I'm really missing out on the touristy side of things that you could potentially do um, because I'm there to try and compete in the tournament, not go and have a holiday. Um, so there's time for that. You know, you know, if you have a week or two off, you could maybe pop out to a city in Europe or something like that. Um, but tournament weeks, I'm there to sort of get my work done, really. I've always been that way. Is there a place that you've been that sticks out as like the most unique, craziest experience or best experience that uh, that ranks at the top of the list for you? Oh, um, that's a tough question because we go to so many yeah. places. I think I think um, the uh, European Masters in Switzerland, which is six, seven thousand feet up in the Alps, is phenomenal. Uh, you know, that was my first tournament back actually after. Um, I got married in August and took my wife there um, and that was my first tournament back and we had a great hotel looking over the Alps and it sort of felt like a almost like a honeymoon really um, which we still haven't had so I sort of count that as our honeymoon (laughs) but I was playing golf Um, some yeah those sort of places are are, are phenomenal Um, but then where else would I say um I mean, there's some interesting places in in China. Um, you know, uh, Shanghai is a. I love going to Shanghai. I think that's one of the best cities in the world. Um, so it's like there's lots of different places, and because, like you said earlier, you know, this you travel so much and you get to see all these or stay in all these wonderful cities. It's like that's a big appeal to the European tour because all these cities have got so much culture and so much going on. Whereas I suppose in the States you're in the same country every week. So, um, that's definitely what the European tour, something it's got going for it. The, the tour itself seems to be going through a period of change in that, uh, Keith Pelly, and I, I would assume he gets a lot of the credit for a lot of the different things. The tour is trying, uh, just this week, it's uh, the, I think it's called the World Six in Australia, where there's a, a match play function mixed in with stroke play. What do you think overall of the direction the tour is in, the changes that are being made, and do you have some that you really like, or some that you aren't particularly fond of? Well, do you know what I was just um, today? We were talking about this, and I actually said 
do you know, I want to watch this World Super Six on, on the weekend. And I think that says a lot. And it, I mean, my, every single day of my life is surrounded by golf. So you might, some people might think, well, why would you want to watch it? But I mean, I'm led here now watching Riviera. And then I'm sort of like, well, because there is something different going on in Australia this week, I want to see what it's like. And I, I genuinely think things like this are good for golf, not just the European Tour. Um, every single week is four rounds tournaments, and it it just needs a little bit of change, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if that's ma- more match play events, um, more team events, more two man event, team events, that sort of thing, or or this new six hole sort of knockout thing, I th- think it'll be interesting to see what it's like but the best thing about it for me is the fact that the european tour aren't afraid to give it a go you know we've we've probably not been anywhere near that in the past but since keith's come in he's you know he's got the balls to give it a go really and i think that says a lot you, along with a lot of those changes seem to be a, just a, a, a full-on embrace of social media and a lot of the things, the mannequin challenge the European Tour has done, and most recently one you were heavily involved in was the Awkward Reporter. So how did that, how did that come about? Were you, were you called upon to, to kind of instigate that, or how did that, how did that begin? Yeah, so um, I think it was the week before I was out in Dubai practicing, and one of the um, the the media staff phoned me up and um, they said, look, we've got this idea. You cannot say a word to anyone. This is top secret. And told me the idea and it was like straight away I wanted to be a part of it. Hmm. Um, and they they actually wanted me and Nicholas Colsarts for maybe an hour and a half in this, in this uh, sort of tent studio set up. And we stayed in there for over five hours. It was just like, <laughs> it was just such a laugh. We couldn't leave because we stayed in there for the entire, I mean, I walked off my pro-am in the morning. I walked off the ninth green straight into the tent. They brought some food into me and that sort of stuff. And I, I, we just couldn't leave because you're looking down the draw for the afternoon guys that were coming through. And it was just like, well, I've got to stay for it. I've got to stay for him. Well, I've got to stay for him, and it just kept going. And um, we both just had such a laugh that you couldn't leave it alone. It was, and it sort of. I mean, I I, I lost my voice as well. I was struggling with a bit of a cold, and that's why I sound like a sort of dolphin when I'm laughing in it. <laughs> um, but it was, oh, I was just such good fun that um, yeah, you you couldn't leave it really. What, well, I think it, it might have been you that tweeted it. Somebody tweeted something about that a lot got left on the cutting room floor and got taken out. So if there's ever a place where you can share what got taken out of the video, this is a safe place. So what what was some of the best parts <laughs> that got cut out? Yeah, I mean, what was that? Maybe there was 20-odd 20, 20 players in the program in the afternoon, and we literally did something with everyone. Um for me, my, my, my the best bit that was cut out was um, so we we got Poulter on the first tee, and um, the the lad Tom Tom Gray, who was who was the awkward reporter, went to go and interview him, and started interviewing Poulter, and then sort of touched his ear as if he's getting told something in his ear, and said, "Oh, 
no, actually, sorry, Ian, we don't need you. And just sort of like walked <laughs> off. And um, yeah, we all know what Poults can be like. And it was just the perfect guy to do that to. Um, but that didn't, that didn't make the edit. Um, and then we got Sully, Andy Sullivan, um, interviewing him. And uh, the guy again said, oh, uh, halfway through, oh, sorry, this interview's just not working. Um, <laughs> Do you mind if we use the box? So we brought out a little box. It was no. only like an inch, two, inch or two, and Sully stood on that, and um, he was laughing. He took it great, and uh, yeah, that didn't get put in either. But uh, a couple of things like that are just just hilarious. Oh man, I got to see the B-roll from this. I could only imagine yeah. what else is out there. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> So you've indicated that uh, you plan to play more golf in the U.S. this year. Um, I, I can guess kind of some of the reasons as a golf fan, but in your own words, if I were to ask you, why do you want to come play more on the PGA Tour, what would you say? I think um, overall, I think the golf courses are set up a little bit tougher. Um, and, you know, f for me... Um, if you're going to play full time on the PGA Tour, like you know, generally like Justin Rose or Luke Donald or 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 Poults, you've got to live there. And I'm, I mean, I'm a I'm a homeboy really, mm -hmm. and I don't think I, I don't think I ever really see myself living in America, uh, particularly with starting a family over here. And it's not just about me; it's about my wife being happy and having people around her when I'm away and um, so I think there's an opportunity to play um, maybe seven or eight events in the States and try and play that top 50 if I can keep myself in and progress up the world rankings and keep yourself in that um, in that schedule that for me that's the perfect schedule to play one or two around the majors or the world golf events in America and see see how I get on. I mean, this year I'm going to try and play a little bit more over there and see how it is. I, I've played a little bit, but not enough to really have given it a go. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll get the chances to play this year a bit more over there and, um, you know, see how I get on, really. So basically what you're saying is what you saw at Hazeltine made you want, never want to live in the States, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd never say that. <laughs> I was going, uh, going for the headline there. No, I'm messing with you. But I think, uh, I, and I wanted, I'm curious to uh, to ask it because I think most people tend to associate like UK and US culture rather closely because we speak the same languages and we're obviously very strong allies and there's a lot of uh, cross-cultural awareness, I would say. But in your opinion, what what are some of... I, I, I'm not even that familiar with how much time you've spent in the U.S. and and what are some of the bigger cultural differences that you see? Do you know what? Like, where I live uh, at home, we can, um, we can walk out our front door and walk into a little village and there's about five or six coffee shops. Um, we can go and get our... Uh, you know, groceries or whatever and it's so nice to just it's five minute ten minute walk and you know we can go and have a nice coffee sit outside that sort of thing whereas in the states i sort of feel like you've got to drive everywhere mm -hmm. and that's one of the it's just it's one of the little appeals to us about living in england really um 
and yeah like I said it's a lot to do with not just myself but my wife and then family as well really um you know it's <clears throat> it's all of a sudden from being in a small little world in in Bristol in England to being in a massive country where you don't know anyone um probably you know more than likely you'd live on a golf course behind gates or whatever it would be it's a massive change um and you know we're so settled here and you know my golf's trending in the right direction that it would be a big uh big change i suppose and um i still don't know how i'll get on golf wise over there yet so you never know i mean in like f- five years time my opinion of that might change and i might say shall we give it a go shall we look at buying somewhere over there but right now i don't really feel like i'm in that position yeah i think that's kind of something that uh not a lot of people on the american side of the pond maybe have that appreciation for but uh so i i nothing in your answer surprised me there but i i wanted to get your perspective on that uh yeah. tying it back to my favorite topic most listeners of this podcast will be shocked it took almost 20 minutes before i dove into the Ryder cup um, but you were obviously a first-time member of the team this year. Uh, was there anything that sticks out about that experience at Hazeltine that really surprised you, that really shocked you? I know people are familiar with the Ryder Cup. You watch it on TV. You talk to players about it. But after experiencing it, was there anything out there that really popped out and surprised you? I, I think the scale of it um, is, is such a massive event. Um, and to be honest, like even when I come back home since um, more people will stop you to talk to you um, off the back of probably the Ryder Cup and you know, the, the attention that it gets uh, from non-golfers as well I think is amazing I, I was in London um, just before the Ryder Cup this was and you know, a couple of people stopped me uh, when I was on the tube in London and you know, that's never really happened before to me and I sort of think, you know, and even when I've been home as well, it's like a lot more people sort of recognise you a little bit more, and that's purely down to the scale of the Ryder Cup. And um, it's like once you've had a taste for it, it's it gets in your blood, and you need more and more of it. And for me, it's just the best event you can play in. Um, and I was on the losing team, you know. Hmm. If I'd if we'd won if we'd won it. I don't know how I'd be feeling, but um, I'm certainly desperate to make the team in Paris and then the team after that and the team after that. And uh, I really see myself as the Ryder Cup being a huge part of my career. Going into the event, or, or how, I guess how disappointed were you after all the build-up, uh, knowing that you were going to be on that team for quite some time, that you sat out that first day? Was that something that you were aware was going to be the case, or was that kind of a, 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 a really disappointing moment for you that first day? Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely gutted. Um, I, didn't, I, I suppose I didn't expect, in my own mind, I didn't expect to be playing the first morning in the foursomes. Uh, but then you don't know who's playing in the afternoon. So uh, myself and, and Fitzy and uh, Rafa and, uh, yeah, we were we were hitting a few balls, uh, maybe nine ten o'clock. Then we went and played a couple of holes. <clears throat> and mentally, I was absolutely ready to go. 
in my own mind, I'm playing this afternoon and I'm ready. And then uh, Paul Laurie had the misfortune, I suppose, <laughs> of having to tell me that I wasn't playing in the afternoon. And I've never been so tired without playing. Like, <laughs> I, I was so drained. I went up and sat in our team room probably for two or three hours and didn't move, just shattered because I think I just got myself that pumped and psyched to go in the afternoon and then oh no sorry Woody you're not you're not going um but then that night we had a obviously had a good sort of comeback in the afternoon the uh the whole team were together in the locker room and Clarky announced that me and Fitzy were going to be playing Saturday and the whole team roared got behind us and all of a sudden there was like a switch we were back in it and I was I was right back on it mentally so um yeah, it's a real sort of up and down of emotions. You played very well once you were called upon. Uh, were the nerves as crazy as you expected when you did tee it up on Saturday? Yeah, uh, I yeah I was nervous. Um, probably the most would have been the night before and then maybe on the range a little bit. Um, once I was out on the course, I felt so comfortable with, with Justin um, and comfortable because of the way I I was playing as well so um yeah I, even though it's that bigger stage once you're on the golf course it's just golf mm -hmm. and it's you know we i mean we play in front of crowds obviously but they're, they're exceptionally big but it's still you don't really notice how big they are um because you're just still plodding along in your own world and um I felt I felt right at home there, and uh, yeah, I think that sort of showed in my golf. Really, I played really nicely, very steady, and winning winning our point was just awesome feeling. Really, you played with Justin Rose. Did he say anything to you in particular before heading out there? Did he take you under his wing at all to help with the pressure? Yeah, we had a nice chat the night before, um, and then we were WhatsApping a bit um, Friday night also as well, and. For somebody, he's obviously a senior member of our team, one of the most experienced players, and you know, Olympic champion, former U.S. Open champion, and for me, someone I've looked up to for a long time. And to have his, to feel like he's got his arm around you when you're uh, heading out for your first uh, Ryder Cup is pretty. Um, it's pretty comforting, and and also I've got to say. Fooch, his caddy, um, was brilliant with myself and, and Punk, my, my caddy. We were both rookies, but when we were out on the course, you, the four of you felt like a unit, and um, it was, you just, you just loved every minute. You're, you're in the team room, and there's, there's six new people on the team. Um, so I imagine that dynamic is just, a, I mean, there's obviously guys that have been there many times before, but then there's the half the team has not been there before. Who's leading that room? Who's talking amongst the players? Who's firing people up? Who's making speeches? Like, what sticks out to you as far as your memory? And who was in charge of that room when you were in it? Well, you know, we obviously all saw Rory that week, mm -hmm. um, how pumped he was. But he was so up for it as well, behind the scenes. And Sergio was another great one in our, in, in our team room. Um, yeah, when, when Darren would be 
uh, talking to us in the evening. We'd have a team meeting and <clears throat> Darren would say his thing or show us a video and got everyone, got he had the room on his side instantly. And then, you know, Rory or Sergio would just chip in with a little comment themselves from their experience, obviously, of Ryder Cups. And it was probably aimed at us rookies. Um, but it was just sort of mainly those two that would that would speak a little bit. And, and Poulter, I've got to say, I'm sure it was hard for him being a vice captain, but I thought he brought an awful lot to the table as well. And, um, you know, for me, the last, obviously, six, eight years, all I can picture is European dominance. And those three guys, and, you know, Henrik and Rose, they... They've been a huge part of that, and to sort of sit in the same team room and listen to them telling you their real experiences, and you'll expect this, and this should happen, and this, you know, don't expect this, and that sort of thing. It just, um, it just helps with, you know, getting your mind sort of set for what's coming up, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, team spirit-wise, it was unreal. Obviously, the crowd and the fan behavior was a topic of discussion on uh, basically any outlet. Was it a topic of discussion in the team room as well or amongst the team? And was it something that you guys turned to kind of for motivation? Yeah, absolutely that. It was a topic in the team room. Um, you know, obviously, our top guys were targeted more than others. And, um, you know, it's... It's different because yeah, you don't you don't really get that in in Europe and right. Um, I think we did just use it as complete motivation. Yeah, you know, what can we do about it? Nothing. Um, you know, these guys they've all had a few drinks and that sort of thing. They're there for a great time. Not everybody who goes to the Ryder Cup is a golf fan. They're sports fans as well, so they might not necessarily know. You know how it goes down at a golf tournament, um, but for me, I don't mind it because I think it adds to the atmosphere, it creates that edge, and it wouldn't bother me if they said anything to me like that or whatever. Um, you know, you generally just learn to ignore it and and, and get on with it. But um, you know, it was a you know. I mean, I was out with Rory a couple of times in the practice round, and it wasn't too bad. I mean, he was getting he was getting a bit of grief, but I think that was probably a lot to do with the fact he just won 11 million the week before. <laughs> um, but I know during the tournament it got pretty bad to him, and um, I think that's why he was so fired up, and probably why he showed it so much as well. Um, which I mean, I don't, you know. It's obviously a line, but I I don't mind it too much. Yeah, I thought it was about ninety five percent okay and part of the event spirit of the event. But I mean, I I was there and and heard some things as well that I just thought you know like even at this level, this special of event, I just don't think that's kind of part of the game. But no. mo- most of all, for, for the most part, I just thought most of the taunts were just so incredibly unfunny. But I was curious. Yeah. Did you? Did was there a, a taunt that sticks out to you that, that was was actually funny? Did you actually hear anything that you thought was good banter? Um, I had on Saturday somebody shouted over, uh, "Hey Justin, who's your partner?" <laughs> uh, or "Who's the tall guy?" Uh, and then 
uh, in the singles on Sunday, my wife was obviously walking around, um, you know, alongside you know, Paulina Gretzky, Dust, Dustin's partner, and um, she got told, shouted at, "Hey, you're no Paulina and stuff like this," and yeah, like mocking her a bit because uh, yeah, obviously Paulina's a you know, a, a blonde, you know, very nice looking girl, <laughs> um, and yeah. So, uh, yeah, but she, you know, it was all, yeah, it's all harmless, really, isn't it? Um, but yeah, hopefully in a year or two, they'll, they'll actually know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so was that, my next question was, what was the meanest thing you heard? Was that it? Or was there, is there, yeah. one, that was it? Yeah. I mean, to me, it won. Yeah. I don't think I was ever going to be a huge target, although, you know, I obviously stand out a little bit because of my height, but um i don't think i'm well known enough in the states at the moment to really be a big target you know when you when you're in the same team as as rory and the likes of sergio and that sort of thing of course they're going to be the crowd's main target aren't they because they're our biggest assets right so after that you you lost 17 11 uh i was at your guys press conference afterward and it just it to me it didn't seem like you guys just lost. I thought you guys were incredible sportsmen about it, laughing, joking with each other. There was it's a little different situation obviously than 2014 on the US side having lost 3 in a row, but there was no finger pointing. There was uh there was just that still team camaraderie. I want to know what did you guys do after that press conference? Was there like a big did you guys all go drink beers together, hang out, stay up late? What was that atmosphere like after the press conference? It was all actually very surprising to me as well. Um, I think Europe just—we've all seen it over the years, haven't we? Europe come together really well, and I think that showed. I mean, I think Rosie tweeted a selfie of us just before the closing ceremony, and we're all there, sort of smiling. And I think we took a bit of stick for that, um, but we were all. Do you know what? We we all sort of switched our minds straight away to Paris and, you know, winning it back. And as soon as that press conference had finished, it was like, well, it's done now. You know, let's have a good night or whatever and, and move on. And everyone had put in as much as they possibly could that, that week and it didn't happen for us. Um but yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously a few of the boys started, got on it and, um, you know, I had to sort of look after the missus really because she was <laughs> pregnant at that stage. So I, I'd lost my drinking partner and, uh, <laughs> um, I'm not the best drinker anyway. So, um, I'll leave that to Sully. He's, he's pretty good. um it it sounds like you know you had a great overall first experience despite the loss and i think that's kind of in the in the spirit of the event but what you said there like you know you lost but at the same time you guys had uh, europe had won for so many years in a row 
that it was probably good for the event for the U.S. team to win. And I know Rory even mentioned something about that. He kind of was, you know, felt happy at least a little bit for the U.S. fans. Like, they've been wanting this for a really long time. So uh, I, I, that's what I, I took away from it. I think we're, on the American side, we're a little bit more uh, sore losers than you guys were. But um, I'm looking forward to Paris as well. But if you were, last Ryder Cup question, I promise, but this has been uh, really enlightening to me. But if you were to do it all over again or if you could go back, what's something, like, you wish you knew going into it or wish you could tell yourself before going into that week uh i'd probably just say it is just golf because the build-up to the Ryder cup i felt like it took over my life and i i put an awful lot of pressure on myself to play well that week because i think well you're playing for 11 other guys you're playing for the captain the vice captains the european tour staff that are there the tour every golf fan in Europe and you know the the scale of it the, the people that are watching around the world and I put a lot of pressure on myself to make try and make sure I was on the top top of my game really and um, I probably overdid that uh, a little bit going in but you know I, I happened to play well but yeah we all we can all revert back to what we know when we're on the golf course and that's and that's playing good golf and um, next time I'll feel like well you just you sort of you've been through it so you know what's coming mm -hmm. and you can prepare yourself mentally for it but because I was a rookie I didn't know what was coming I didn't know how the crowds would be I didn't know um, yeah just lots of things in general really but now I'll I'll actually feel like, well, I've been through this before. I can do it again. And, you know, so much more determined as well this next time to, to win it back. Sounds good. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you out of here on that, man. That was, uh, this was a lot of fun and, uh, best of oh, luck cool. with best of luck with, uh, the birth of your first child coming up here soon. And we'll, uh, most of our listeners are from the States and I so I can say, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, play more in the States in the coming year. Oh, I look forward to it. Yeah. What's um what's Bubba using a pink golf ball for, by the way? Oh man, don't get me started on that. You think the, <laughs> do you think they'll let him do that at Augusta? Oh my god, that's a good point. I've just seen him, he's just flung the green on the third with a pink ball. Um yeah, that's not right, is it? No. Yeah, we're recording this on Thursday night in over in Europe and Bubba's playing the third hole right now at Rera and yeah, there's yeah. a pink golf ball and I can't believe he's not getting more ridicule for this. Can you can you help me out here? Like can we can we <laughs> can we can we get this ridicule going for him? Mind you, Spieth's just done the same with a white ball, so you know. <laughs> um but yeah, that's really weird. Is this, is this, is this uh, the first you've seen of this? Yeah, no, he's he, the first I've seen. He left. Uh, uh, he was playing in Titles Pro V for a long time, and he signed with Volvic, this colored the colored ball company, like right. just at the start of this season. That's that's a that's a strange move, but um, yeah, we'll see how it goes for him. But uh, this, this is why you need to follow No Laying Up on Twitter. We've been making fun of this for like months. Okay, so I'll do it right now. <laughs> I'll get my phone and follow you. <laughs> All right, Chris, man, thank you for the time, and best of luck in the coming weeks, man. Cheers. Cheers, thanks. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 
respect. 